Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. As we close the message last week, I mentioned that while we had spent the majority of that message dealing with the human effects of being drunk with wine, this week I hope to spend most of our time studying about the most important response to these words, and that is, what does God think about our becoming drunk with wine? What does God think about our becoming drunk with wine? And we'll begin with verse 17. These words again. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now those words would be an appropriate instruction no matter the context that they're given. But here we find God giving those words in a very specific way for a very specific purpose. As we said in the message last week, there's a special kind of foolishness that takes control within the minds of most men and women when they dare cross over certain boundary limits in the use of alcohol. Their senses become blinded and confused about the very obvious pitfalls and dangers that they will surely, everyone, each person, will surely fall victim to as they add one drink upon another. Now here in these words, God has just finished giving stern warnings about the wickedness and about the evil that swirls all around about us in the darkness of this world, saying to us that the days are evil. And then immediately following those warnings, we find this very specific caution about our becoming drunk with wine. And those two warnings are very obviously connected the days being evil and our need to take care not to become drunk with wine. As I considered this warning, the thought came to me that there are a thousand, perhaps even tens of thousands of other dangers that can befall us as we wander each day in this present darkness. But God chose to address this particular one, the drinking of too much wine. And when that sort of thing takes place in these scriptures, I like to stop and remind myself of why God does it that way. And each time I come back to the very same answer, and it's simply that, listen, He is our Father. I want to continually remind us of that. It's because He is our Father, and we are His beloved children. And as a loving Father who can foresee the pitfalls that lie in the path of those who choose those kinds of habits, He wants to spare us the miseries that will surely become ours. And so he tells us, my child, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Now here our loving Father has very straightforwardly put this caution right in front of you and me so that we can't miss it. And he fully expects you and me to just as straightforwardly deal with it. I shared with you last week some of the miseries that I personally encountered as I faced my own drinking problems in my younger years of life. And I confess to you that for myself, my desire to drink was brought on simply because I didn't like myself very well. And although I was outwardly successful in my work and in my family life, the inner conflicts kept winning out. And I chose to deal with my inner conflicts simply by blinding my eyes and blurring my mind for a while with alcohol. I might not have been able to articulate that at the moment, but that's what I did. And again, my drinking was not such as to make me look like a stumbling drunk, but it was enough to bury my problems for a while. And in that is where God's use of this word foolish is so appropriate. Because for a long time, I foolishly thought that I was doing something to help myself, help me get through the day or through a difficulty. But that was never so. That was never so. My problems were always still there. Now, why would that be so? It was because the enemy that I was combating at the time was within my own soul. And you can't drink away those kinds of enemies. And in those days, I also came to realize that I was not unique. The same was true for most all the people that I observed, my drinking friends. They all battled with those same kinds of enemies within. Right now, I have a very close personal friend who, though she is a very committed believer in Christ, she still struggles with the pitfalls of excessive drinking. And she has for most of her adult life. And just this very past week, she was sharing another stumbling and falling episode. Just every so often, she's doing really well, but then she foolishly finds herself reaching for a drink to drive away that enemy within. And she does that to the point to where she just teeters at the brink of losing her job, losing her family, losing her freedom especially. May we at this point ask ourselves the question, what and who are those enemies that lurk within and around our souls? Are they, as the secular world would suggest, just human emotional problems? Depression and the like brought on by some past abuse or mistreatment? And also, what is the real role that the alcohol plays within a person's body and mind, within their mental and emotional capacities, as they begin to add one drink upon another? I've come to believe without reservation that such personal struggles and difficulties are brought on in almost every case by the very same enemy that we've been battling ever since the beginning of time. And that very same enemy, those forces of evil that we've been talking about that lurk around in the present darkness 
that swirls about us each day. The scripture proof of that is in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and that is our own flesh and blood, by the way, although our flesh and blood is responding to it. The real enemy says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, other people are our own, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That darkness that swirls all about us. Now may I again remind us that the demons that are there in that darkness are not the Hollywood version of demons. No. These demons are real. They are very, very real. And they are very clever. And you and I have to start really committing ourselves to understanding that they are all about us and that they are affecting us. They can bring damage to any part of our life. Physical, mental, emotional. As the scriptures say to our heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And we have only to observe some of the scriptures. The old servant Job came to my mind. You recall that the devil attacked him and and killed his family through the use of the windstorm. He destroyed Job's wealth through robbers, thieves. He turned Job's friends against him, men who loved him, but he turned them against him. Even Job's wife told him to curse God and die. So may I say, convincing you and me that life is a mess, that our life is a mess, and that we ought to be depressed, and that we ought to drink ourselves into oblivion is no big chore, no big chore at all for the clever demons within the darkness. And consider their weapon of choice, spoken about here in these scriptures as alcohol. As I studied these words of scripture, I began to ponder the secular expression, wine and spirits. That's the familiar wording that we find on signs outside of liquor stores. We find them in liquor advertisements. Have you ever stopped to wonder why the secular world uses that expression for alcohol, that of spirits? Well, I wondered. And so I researched the answer. The etymology of the word spirits as it relates to alcohol comes from an Arabic word, alcohol, A-L-K-U-H-L which was the name of a body-eating spirit. When those Arab alchemists who were experimenting with brewing their alcohol ingested it, their senses became deadened, and so they named the substance according to its body-taking qualities, calling it alcohol. And it's developed over time then that the term spirits has become synonymous with alcohol. When we look at the origin of the definition of the word spirit in our scriptures, we find that it comes from the Greek word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, which can be translated wind or breath or spirit, depending on its context. 
But as for us as men and women, the word spirit means the essence of who a person is. Not his or her body or other physical attributes, but rather this mystical unseen essence of who a person is. Now question, could those alchemists who first discovered the distillation of alcohol have been truly correct in their estimation of what was taking place? Now recall the definition that the alcohol, the alcohol, is a body-eating spirit. Could God have chosen to reveal a warning to those who would drink this distilled alcohol that a different spirit than their own, a different spirit might be introduced into their mind, their body, their soul? Think about it. Now, am I suggesting that everyone who takes a drink is influenced or even possessed by a demon? Not at all. No. But I am suggesting that the demonic world can be as close as our elbow at every moment, eager to add their influences into the events of our daily life. And alcohol, as a weapon of choice, is very effective at influencing and even destroying the lives of those who drink it to excess. Now another question. Can we then blame such behaviors as excessive drinking on those demons that are at work in our lives influencing us to have one more beer, to have one more drink? Can we blame it all on them? Unfortunately, we can't get off that easily. Now yes, those demons will answer for their own misdeeds. They are accountable and they will suffer in hell for the temptations that they're bringing to us. But as for you and me, as for you and me, we are always fully personally accountable for the deeds that we do, for every drink that we take, for every choice that we make involved in that drinking. And may I say that that's especially so for you and I who are saved. For you and I who have Christ as our Savior. Now recall that this book of Ephesians began by saying that it is written to believers. All of these words are written to believers like you and me. So these words are primarily for us who are already fully saved. But then we also still get caught up under the control of alcohol. Now again, the question that we first began with in this message. What does God think about our surrendering ourselves over to being drunk with wine? What does God think about us surrendering ourselves over to being drunk with wine? One drink upon another. Remember that from the first moment that you and I received Christ as our Savior, we became the temple of God's Holy Spirit. In the most real sense that we could ever imagine, the Spirit of God really does take up residence within your and my spirit and within our heart. And we become His temple. May I read those words for you? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. 
Folks, that is what God thinks about our bringing another spirit into our body. We are the temple of God. You might recall in the Old Testament, Moses' two sons, they defiled God's temple and they were immediately struck dead. I mentioned in Sunday school class, King Uzziah, he dared defile the temple and he was immediately struck with leprosy. That warning again for us. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. God does not want you or me to bring a defiling spirit, a body-eating spirit, into his temple in us. There's no wonder that we are almost immediately struck with miseries as we begin to get drunk. And it lasts sometimes for days after we have become drunk. For so many of us who are prone to addiction, our lives, our whole life, begins to go from bad to worse. Verse 17 of our scripture says, So then do not be foolish. You know this is going to take place. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's warning us so clearly. Verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. That's where we simply give up all that is important for something that has no meaning whatsoever. But instead, we are to be filled with the Spirit. Being drunk with wine truly does bring another spirit into the temple of God. Let me say that again. Being drunk with wine truly does bring another spirit into the temple of God, defiling the holiness that He has put within us. And God will not permit such things to take place. He hates it, and it's a wonder that He just doesn't simply strike us down. I thought about that. Why doesn't he? Well, true to his character, he's always first, my loving father, your loving father. And so instead of wiping us off the face of the earth, he turns and says to us, my child, turn away from this alcohol and be filled with the Spirit. But now note also that those words are a command. They're not just an invitation, they are a command. Verse 18 do not get drunk with wine. It's a command. For that is dissipation. Another command. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. When God gives us a command, it means that you and I have some responsibility for the doing of what He is commanding us to do. And here, He's commanding us to be filled with the Spirit. Now too often we think that his filling us with His Spirit is something that He alone must do. And there is truth in that understanding. But these words are clear and they are plain. You and I also have some responsibility in the filling of our heart with the Holy Spirit because He's commanding us to do it. Now how does that work? I confess that I do not know. But the simple truth is that you and I must join with God's Holy Spirit 
and his coming into and filling our spirit with his spirit. What is it then that I must do, that you must do? A few days ago in one of the devotions given by Oswald Chambers, and I do love reading those devotions each day. His devotional is my utmost for his highest. He used an occasion of Abraham needing to deal with the natural before the supernatural would be able to take place. In his case, the sending out of Ishmael into the desert before he could simply bless and and raise his son Isaac. Deal with the natural before you deal with the supernatural. In our case, the natural being our desire to drink, to want to drink. And the, the supernatural being that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Oswald Chambers said. Abraham had to suffer in giving up Ishmael before he offered up Isaac. Some of us are trying to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God before we have sacrificed the natural. We want to hang on to our old habits, but still have the blessings of God. Some of us are trying to offer up those spiritual sacrifices to God before we have sacrificed the natural. The only way he tells us, that we can offer a spiritual sacrifice to God is to present our bodies a living sacrifice. That's Romans 12.1. Sanctification, he tells us, means more than just being freed from sin. It means the deliberate commitment of myself to the God of my salvation and being willing to pay whatever it may cost. If we do not sacrifice the natural to the spiritual, the natural life will resist and will defy the life of the Son of God in us and will produce continual turmoil. I mentioned the young lady friend that I have who struggles with alcohol. The natural life will resist and defy the life of the Son of God in us and will produce continual turmoil. This is always the result of an undisciplined spiritual nature. We go wrong because we stubbornly refuse to discipline ourselves physically, morally, or mentally. And we excuse ourselves by saying, well, I wasn't taught to be disciplined when I was a child. Or we make some other such excuse. God seems often to not intervene in our natural life as long as we continue to pamper and to gratify it. As long as we keep reaching for that other drink. But, he says, once we are willing to do our part, then God spares nothing in heaven and earth to give us all the help that we need. Folks, listen. These are God's instructions to you and me when we find ourselves giving in to the desire to drink too much alcohol and to become drunk with wine. We are to sacrifice those desires to God. And no, sacrifice is never easy or painless. It actually is ruthlessly painful. Why? 
It's because sacrifice means putting to death the thing that we're sacrificing up to God. In this case, our desire to drink. But listen, you and I must, at all costs, we must keep that other spirit out of the temple of God. May I ask you to think of that? Anytime that you take a second drink. So then, this is the answer to the question we first ask ourselves, that of what does God think about my drinking? This is the response that he expects and even demands of us. Are you, am I, willing to make that sacrifice? If you and I are children of God, then our body is his holy temple. Individually. And we are individually accountable. And we really have no choice in this matter. We dare not bring another spirit into the temple. So then may we surrender ourselves to him. And as verse 17 says, understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. Let's pray.